wanting something more has just been in my head this morning. Um, and I think that actually gets to the heart of what I want to share with us today. Have you ever really, I mean, I don't know if you've experienced like that longing for more of God in the way that I talked about this morning. You may or may not have, but there's got to be something in your life somewhere where you thought, this is just not enough. There's got to be more to this. There's got to be more for my life than this. Has anybody ever experienced that? Yeah? And have you ever experienced that for somebody else? Like you look at parents, parents, this is easy for parents because we look at our children and we think just immediately, I want more for them than what I had in my life, or I want more for them than, than what was given to me, um, in, or I want more for them than what they're getting in life, you know, what they're getting out of life. I just want the best and the most wonderful things that I can think of for my kids. How many parents have ever felt that? Yeah. And that's, that's the nature of being a parent. You know, we love our children so much that we want something more for them. And that's the heart, I think, of what I want to share about this morning from the book of Philemon, Philemon, however you want to say it. It is a little tiny book in the New Testament, very difficult to find if you're not familiar with your New Testament books. It comes right before the book of Hebrews, and that's a larger book toward the back of your Bible. So you see Hebrews go backwards just a little bit. It's one pager. It's just a few paragraphs. It's a short little letter, and we're going to look at actually just a few verses out of it. And uh, if you're a guest with us, we've been on a journey talking about prayer. Man, that is washed out. Uh, Pray First is the title of our series, which we've started um, right here in the new year, uh, because we believe that prayer changes things, and most of all, it changes us. And we believe that prayer is where everything starts. Like, if we want something more, we don't start by just working for it. My temptation as a pastor is really odd. When I think about what it means to be a pastor, it really has to do with teaching you to love God wholeheartedly and to love one another wholeheartedly. And yet, you know what I do? You know what my default is when I start getting to a place where I don't know what to do? I think about how to fix the building. It's really weird. I don't think about how to help you pray better, or I don't think about how, you, how I can help you know God more. I think, man, if this building just looked a little bit nicer, we'd probably do better at being disciples of Jesus. It's crazy. It doesn't work that way. So God has just drawn my heart back to this, this, this core behavior of praying for one another. And it's interesting because we're in week five, and what I have found is that no matter how much we talk about uh, the subject of prayer, there is always something more to be said. And uh, last week I talked about, uh, from Ephesians, uh, talking about how God says that we have access to all the treasuries of heaven, all of the spiritual treasuries that, that he holds, he has given us access to with power, Right? And people were like, yes, this is amazing. We can have this power of the Holy Spirit alive in us, and we can access all these things. And somebody came to me right after our service. You know what they said? They go, hey, that's a really great sermon. You said, what's in the treasuries of heaven? I mean, what, is, what is God offering us? And I was like, hmm, well, maybe I should have covered that. <laughs> you know, Maybe I should have done that. And so I wanted to, to cover that a little bit this week, just briefly, because it fits with this idea of wanting something more for other people. So here it is, simple answer. We, we could do multiple sermon series on the treasuries of heaven, which would be sounds really weird and it's not very attractional for non-believers and people that are wandering about God. But the treasuries of heaven, very simply, is this. To find the treasures of heaven, you don't have to look any further than the promises of God. Every promise that God has made points back to some treasure of heaven that he has set aside specifically for us, his people. And you have access to every single one of them. To find the treasures of heaven, just look for the promises of God. Look for the promises that God has made in the scripture. And that's why we encourage you to actually read your Bible. A lot of people have given up on reading the Bible. A lot of people have just given up on reading in general, right? I mean, it can be hard to take the time to read. I'm a reader. I love to read. I've spent a lot of time on a couch in the last month and a half. I've read 10 books already since January 1st. My eyes are like, Whoa, my brain is full. It's amazing. But reading the Bible is a kind of a different thing because we're not just reading to know stuff. We're not reading to be entertained. We're reading so that we can know who God is, so that God could speak to us and say something to us. If you want more of God, if you want more of an experience with him, you want to experience more of his presence and his power, let me just tell you, read his word. Read what he's already said to you. And what he's already said to you is full of these little things called promises. 
And they have these little code words that go with them. And I don't say the Bible's got it full of code words, but when I say code words, I mean this is how you find them. If you read the words, I will, and God has said it, that was a promise. If he says, I will, and Joel, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Guess what? That's not just a good suggestion. It's not just this wonderful idea or this hopeful thought. This is a promise from God. And then we're not just talking about anybody, right? When I make a promise, like I'm going to take you out to coffee this week, things can get in the way of that, right? You know, I'm going to take you out to coffee this week, Joe. My bat goes out. Joe was like, you are? Sweet. (laughs) My bat goes out and I'm in pain. And I call Joe and say, Joe, I can't I can't fulfill this promise this week. We're going to have to do this some other time. And then life gets in the way, and life gets in the way, and life gets... Have you guys ever experienced that? Life gets in the way of your promises? Guess what? Life never gets in the way of God's promises. It never has. When you talk about all the powers of pain and brokenness and suffering of this world, biblically speaking, they are like a puppy yapping at the leg of a giant. There is no power. There is no power that can stop God from fulfilling his promises, and he keeps every single one of them. So when we find them, we're talking about a treasure. We're talking about the most wonderful treasure that we can hold on to, and we can found our lives on these things. So in the Bible is full of these treasures, and they are all over the place, and they cover everything from wisdom to salvation to provision to protection to forgiveness. I mean, all across the board, thousands and thousands of them. And I've given you this morning... Uh, with your bulletin. If you didn't get a bulletin, you're going to want to go get one. I gave you a list of very, it's a sample list, okay? It is a half sheet of paper, front and back, with just some of the promises of God on them. Just a few of them. And you're going to want to put this in your Bible or on your refrigerator, because we're going to talk about actually engaging these things. We're going to talk about uh, taking hold of the treasures of God. So if you read your Bible, I encourage you to do it. Those treasures are all throughout there, and, and those are some of them. And we're going to look at one of them today. The reason that these are important is not just because God has promised them to you, but because they're yours. And maybe another way of saying that is, you know, really our our goal here isn't that you would own the treasuries of heaven, but really that they would own you. See, God isn't really considered about, really concerned about you getting him, because God is impossible to get. And when we come here, we're not here to learn how to get more of God. We want to learn how to let God get more of us. We want God to have more of us, and we want these treasures of heaven, these promises of God to take hold and to take root and to, to own our heart, to, to shape us and mold us. And the, this God word that we use is called transform us. Um, man, just like, I'm like all over the place. This is not in my notes. I'm just preaching now. Uh, Heidi and I have been talking, and I shared this with my dad last night who was here, by the way. I'm preaching. My dad's here, so this is unnerving. Um, we, we were talking about this like, you know, we, we've got a church here, and, and I know many of you, and we've shared stories with one another, and, and I've heard your stories of trial and pain and suffering and brokenness, and, and you know, you, you sit down with one person, like in a counseling session, and you hear all of the decisions that have been made in their life, and then the, how their parents treated them, and their grandparents treated them, and all these broken stories of abuse and drug addiction and all this stuff, and it's like, this is just one person. And I started thinking about, this is just one person. And this world has got over 7 billion people. And each of those 7 billion people has a story. And some of them are great, but there's still hurt and pain and brokenness in them. And some of them, man, that makes like the most broken person in this room look like an angel, okay? It's just like there's pockets in this world of just poverty and suffering. And you think about the brokenness of this entire planet and how awful and horrible it is in some ways. And I want something more for them. And I want something more for you. And we want to pray for one each other to, to, to receive that, to receive healing, to receive hope, and to allow those broken places to be transformed from brokenness to glory, from brokenness to wholeness, from, from brokenheartedness to wholeheartedness, to be able to love wholeheartedly to be able to treat each other wholeheartedly, to hear from God wholeheartedly, to love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, all of your mind. Not just a part or a piece, not just a Sunday morning for a half hour, hour, 45 minutes, however long you manage to, you know, however on time you get to church, I guess. Um, sometimes I wonder about you guys. What are you doing before church? Anyway, so Paul 
the apostle who wrote the book of Philemon, Philemon, um, he has a form of how he prays for people when he's wanting something more for them. When he senses God's spirit speaking to him and saying, I want something more for that person, he has this way of praying for them. And it's almost, almost, hold on to your hats, folks, a formula. Da, 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 da. Thank you. I love that. Uh, so this morning, I want to look at that a little bit um, from Philemon 1, Philemon. I can never say that one right. Like, I share Greek on a Sunday morning, but I can't say Philemon. Uh, 1, 4 through 7 is what we're going to be reading here. And I want to look at two things. First, I want to look at how Paul prays. And then if we've got time, I want to look at what he prays. And we're going to take some time to actually practice these things this morning, if we've got time. Okay? So I'm going to read this, and also I'm going to say this right away. I'm reading this from the New King James Version of the Bible because there is actually some, some words in here in the Greek which don't, they're really tough to translate. And it's hard because in, in Greek what happens is like we try to translate it into one word, but it means like 15 words. And the, the New King James, I've read all the different translations trying to, like, what, you know, what lines up best. And I think this may be, at the very least, it's getting at what God's saying to us this morning. So... Uh, we're going to read it from that. And this is what it has to say. So Philemon 1, 4 through 7. Paul says this, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. That's Philemon 1, 4 through 7. So I said there's a, there's a formula here. And uh, before I tell you what that formula is, I want to kind of give a couple of caveats. I hate formulas. I really do. Because Christianity, religion in general, has this tendency to become formulaic, Right? We, what becomes meaningful at a moment, we codify and we, we turn it into a statue and we worship it in the end. We turn it into this thing that is not God, but is more important than God. And formulas can do that. And especially in prayer, we're just like, if you just say it this way, if you just do it this way, then somehow it all works out for the best. The, the, the reason that I hate formulas is because there are no magic prayer words. Now, if you have never prayed before in your life, I want you to write that down. I want you to circle it. I want you to highlight it. It is in your bulletin. There are no magic prayer words. Okay? Say it with me. There are no magic prayer words. There is nothing you can say or do in, in a specific order, in a special way, that is going to change things here on earth. Uh, the problem with this is that we think that we have magic words or that, that maybe God is like, you know, it's like finding the right lamp. You go to the antique store and you see that cool Arabian-looking lamp and you think, oh, maybe there's a genie in the lamp. And then you, and if you rub the lamp the right way, the genie comes out and you say, I wish, and you get your wish. But God doesn't work that way. That's not who God is. And it's not surprising that we think this way. Think about how we're, we've been raised, culturally speaking. Um, and I'm not trying to put something on moms that they've never did. This is a big stereotype, so hold on to your stereotype hats. But think about it. You're a kid. You go to the grocery store with mom. You know, she's pushing the cart down the aisle, and she's got her list, and she's going through her stuff. And you go down the cereal aisle, and she's looking at all the top-shelf healthy cereals, right? You know you know what I'm talking about? Like She's looking at Life cereal, and she's looking at, at frosted mini-wheats and grape nuts, which is a total lie, because if you open them, there's no grapes or nuts inside there. It's just little rocks. You know, and she's looking for the, you know, the, the best cereals for you. And what, what do you do, Curtis? I know you did this. Curtis probably walked down and he saw magical lucky charms, right? And you said, mother, mother, I must have these lucky charms. They are magically delicious. And what stereotypically, stereotypically does mom say? What's the magic word? Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> Heidi's squirming right now because I had a whole different joke. She said, don't say that one. It's completely inappropriate. Um, so I didn't, and Sherry will be glad. It's an inside joke. She says, it's like Mountain Dew. Anyway, um, I had to share that with her. The rest of you were just left out of that joke. I apologize, but it was so good. Um, anyway, she either says no, or she says, what's the magic word? And what is the magic word? Please. Right. We are trained from childhood to be polite. 
But we're also trained that when we say please, we usually get what we want. It's true. What's the magic word? Please. Boom. We get what we want. And that's a works-based gift. If you act appropriately, if you say the right words, you get what you want. And we come to God with this idea that if we say the right words in the right order with the right formula, then we're going to get what we want. And it's not how prayer works. Because we are not given the answers to our prayers based on what we've done. We're not given an answer to a prayer uh, based on saying the right thing or acting the right way. We're given the answers to our prayers because God loves us. He loves us deeply, and he wants every good and perfect thing for you. And that's hard to get our brains around. We're like, well, I still have to earn it, right? Nope. God loves you. End of story. Sermon over. God loves you. That's it. That's the end of it. Well, what about, nope. But this, nope. God loves you, and that's why he wants to answer your prayers. And that's why this whole formula thing is so wrong. Because we want to say, I get the formula right, so why isn't God answering my prayers? Which actually is the second reason I hate formulas. It's that question, well, why isn't God answering my prayers? I'm going to tell you a little secret. God always, always answers his prayers. You have not said a prayer that has not been answered. No human being on earth has ever said a prayer that has not been answered. Our problem is, is that we think that the answer to prayer is a miraculous yes. That's when the prayer's been answered. God, I need this. Yes! Oh, look, he answered my prayer. But if I go to God in prayer over and over and over again for this, this thing and it doesn't happen, well, God clearly hasn't answered my prayer. Well, maybe he said no. Did that ever occur to you? Or maybe he said, yes, but not yet. Because God stands with this perspective that we just don't have. And he knows what's best for us, and he wants what's best for us, and what's best for his kingdom. God answers prayers because he loves us deeply, and he answers prayers because he wants to bring and build his kingdom here and now. It's for his glory's sake, so that all the world would know how much he loves us. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says wait, sometimes he says not right now, but he always answers. So when we're praying, we're not just flinging our words at heaven like we've said before. We're not just throwing words at a wall. We're talking about to a God who listens, but a God who has a will and a plan. And so we've got to learn as we pray to align our will with God's will, to learn to pray what God is wanting to do and to pray what God is bringing in this world. God has the right and the responsibility to say both yes and no. He has the right and responsibility to say, not right this moment. Just like a parent with a child has the right and the responsibility to sometimes say, yes, magical lucky charms are wonderful, but no, not right now because you're struggling with sugar. You're struggling with this or that. Um, to say yes or no to going to a friend's house. You know, all of the things that we have to decide every day from our perspective as parents, God has that same perspective, only greater, vastly greater. So with those two caveats, that there are no magic words and that God does always answer prayer, I want to cautiously give you a formula for prayer, okay? A formula for praying for other people when you want something more for them, when God prompts your heart to want something more for them. And that's found in this prayer and in all of Paul's prayers. He uses the same things. And it goes like this. It's T-P-O. Simple way to remember it, T-P-O. Uh, and I thought I could switch it and make it top, but then it was out of order. So T-P-O. Um, that's what it is. So it looks like this. Verse 4, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of the love of the faith and the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So those words, for the or so that, those are your little code words again. Remember I said the promises of God are I will. Now, when Paul is praying, and you want to find these prayers and learn this, this uh, little, not formula, but this form of praying for other people, those are your key words. So that, or for the, or so it will. Um, those are your key words. TPO. Before I tell you what this is, uh, I should have done this first. I'd like you, on the back of your bulletin, you have some lines. You see them back there on your note sheet, some lines? I want you to write down the first two names that pop into your head. First two names. 
okay, don't try too hard. I know some of you are like, oh, don't try too hard. Just the first two names. Don't, have to, don't, be, don't get like, knock somebody off the list. Just the first two names that popped into your head. Not them. I don't want to think about them. This is, this is how life works. Names pop into our heads. So again, if you've got those, good job. Now I want you to write down Phil and Angela Nelson right below that. Okay, write that down. Phil and Angela Nelson. And I'll tell you why in a minute. And they're in the back going, why? <laughs> why, why are you putting my name on their papers? Okay, because these are people we're going to pray for. And I'm going to tell you how you can pray for them. First of all, what we see is, is thanks. Paul always starts with thanks. He says right here in Philemon, I thank my God for you every time I think about you. Now that's how people pop into our head, right? We're just going along our day, we're driving our car, and our brains are doing their brain thing, and then suddenly in comes the name, and it runs across our head. And this is what Paul is saying. Like, every time I think about you, I what? I thank God for you. Now, some of you were saying, but wait a minute, you said don't knock names off of my list. You, there's people that I don't want to think about and I'm not thankful for. Right? Paul's, Paul's habit of being thankful is very, very easy with people that you love and like and respect, right? Some of you, like the first name when I was going through this, the first name that popped in my head was Heidi. And I love my wife. And so it's very easy for me to be thankful, though I have a terrible, terrible habit of not saying it if you have that problem, right? It's one thing to be thankful for somebody, but it's another thing to actually say it out loud so that they hear it. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's not just saying that he's thankful to God and actually thanking God. He's telling him, I'm actually thankful for you. But here's the thing. This guy that he is thankful for is not the easy guy. This person that he's thankful for is not you know, his best friend in the world who is just, you know, always kind and generous and loving and loyal to him. It's, it's not like Paul's wife or something who cares for him and feeds him and, you know, supports him and prays for him and all of those things. This is actually a hard person because the book of Philemon is written to a slave owner. And this book is a, a little bit uh, controversial because of that in the church because it actually, in a way, it sounds like it could be supporting slavery. Philemon owned a slave. He was a rich Roman slave owner. And one of his slaves uh, ran away. And I keep wanting to say Onesimus, but that's from Greek mythology. His name, well, it is Onesimus. I was thinking Odysseus, not Onesimus. See, I, I, I corrected it in my head and then I messed it up. It's perfect. So yeah, Onesimus, anyway, runs away from him because he's fearful, because he's a slave and he doesn't want to be a slave. And who wants to be a slave, right? So he runs away. He meets Paul. He comes to faith, and he starts working with Paul. And then over the course of time, somehow the story comes out that Onesimus is a runaway slave. Now, in those days, being a runaway slave was a death sentence, right? You, you were property that ran away. And so basically, when you go back to your owner, uh, that owner has the every right to harm you, beat you, destroy you in any way, shape, or form that he or she chooses to. He could put this slave to death. And harboring a runaway slave was also a death sentence. It was akin to theft. So there's this really tense situation that Paul has this brother in Christ in another town who came to faith, even though he was a slave owner, and a runaway slave from him who is in his house, and Paul is sending him back. He said, you got to go back. you got to do what's right. Now, it's not saying that slavery is right, but he says that decisions of character are right, obeying the rules of the land in that moment for this circumstance, this one time is right. But he sends him back knowing that his little friend, his young man, could be put to death. And still, when he thinks, when Paul thinks of Philemon, he says, I thank my God for you. What is happening here is that Paul is not thinking about the earthly circumstances. He's not thinking about what's going on in life in this moment. He is looking at Philemon from the perspective of God. He is looking at the other person who is causing him trouble that could, could cause the death of one of his friends. And he is thinking, God, how do you see this person? God, what is going on through this man in the world that I have to be thankful for? He is getting God's heart for Philemon as he prays, which is really the first and most important thing that we do. We get God's heart for each other. And I think that's where we go wrong in prayer very often because we come to God with our needs. We come to God with our hurts. We come to God wanting more of God. We don't think 
about loving our neighbor as ourselves in prayer. We're not thinking about other people in prayer. And this is an invitation for you to begin to think about somebody else and to pray for them. The technical word for this is to intercede on their behalf. And it begins with getting God's heart for them by being thankful. By being thankful. It's the most important part of Paul's prayers, I think. Because Paul teaches us that we have this habit of when people pop into our head, we start with not what's hard or the argument that we just had or how my boss was just mean to me. That boss pops into my head and I consciously make a decision right now to be thankful for that person. God, what do I have to be thankful for? Well, right now, they're teaching me to be patient. So thank you, God, for bringing this person in my life so that I could learn to be patient. God, right now, they're teaching me how I don't want to treat other people because they've treated me so horribly. God, thank you for growing my heart to be a person of integrity and character to treat others as I want to be treated. That's really hard stuff. Or maybe you can look at them and just say, God, that is a person that you have created in your image. Right now, it doesn't look like they reflect it very much, and I'm on the receiving end of all of the pain and suffering that they're pouring out on people, but they bear your mark. They are your creation, and I thank you that you've created them and brought them into this world. Help me to be more thankful for them. You begin to get God's heart for people as you do that, as you say thank you when they pop into your head. I've learned that it is impossible to hate somebody that you're praying for. So that's why Jesus says, so pray for your enemies and do good for them. (laughs) You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say, pray for your enemies and do good to them. Why? Because you can't hate somebody that you're praying for. Because the very act of bringing them before God is the greatest act of love you can do. Because God loves them desperately. And it is not easy for us to do this. Heck, it's often very, very painful. Because the reality is, is in that moment, we are facing our own sin. We're facing our own anger, our own discontent, our own negative feelings towards somebody, our own hateful feelings towards somebody, our own desire for revenge or retribution, our own desire to be somebody above other people. There's so much that goes on as we thank God for other people. But let me tell you this, as you become thankful, God makes you more and more into his image because your heart of thankfulness looks more and more like his. So if you want more of God, be more thankful for other people. The second thing that Paul does is promise. Paul next prays a promise of God over Philemon. And this is where we come back to the beginning. That, that's treasuries of heaven. All the things that God wants for us, that have been promised to us, that have been given to us, we just have to lay hold of them and lay claim to them. And we can pray for these for one another. He does this all over the place throughout the New Testament. Here, Paul is praying that Philemon's witness would become effective by acknowledging that every good thing that we need, we already have in Jesus. Paul knows that he who began a good work in Philemon will be faithful to complete it. That's a promise. He started something. God doesn't leave projects unfinished. He finishes them every time. He also knows that every promise that God made is a yes and an amen. That God said yes and amen is let it be. He knows these things, and so he can pray over Philemon this this promise that everything that has been put inside of him that is good comes from God, and he is praying that Philemon would discover that and know it. Can you imagine walking through life not doubting that there is goodness in you that comes from God? Can you imagine going about your days and your interactions with people, knowing that the Holy Spirit is speaking through you at every moment, at all times, and all it takes is one word from God to change and transform the world, much less the person you're talking to? This is what Paul is praying for him, that everything that he needs for life and godliness, every good and perfect gift is in him. And he is praying this promise over him. Paul does it again in Ephesians 1.17. Paul asks the Father that he would give people in the Ephesian church the spirit of wisdom, it says. This is a promise that is found several places throughout the Bible, starting in Exodus, where God says he places a spirit of wisdom on people. And then in Isaiah, he says, I am going again to place the spirit of wisdom on you. And then Jesus, as he's leaving, he says, but when the spirit comes, referring to the promise, and the spirit's going to come, he will give you all wisdom and lead you and guide you in your ways. 
So the Ephesian church is like, we don't know what to do in the midst of our circumstances. Paul says, God's already said that you get wisdom. So we're going to pray for that wisdom. We're going to pray that over you right now. God, pour out the spirit of wisdom on these people. May they know from your spirit which way to go. He does it again uh, in Philippians 1.9. Paul asks that the Philippians' love would abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight. In Exodus, God promises Moses that he would teach Moses and Aaron what to say and how to say it. In Psalm 32, God says that he will instruct and teach us in the way that we should go. And so Paul prays for the Philippians that they would have a depth of insight and that that insight would result in love. The promises of God are not revealed. They reveal to us the treasury of heaven, but they also reveal God's heart to us. They show us who God wants us to be for other people. Prayer for others is really about allowing God's heart to be grown in us and then out of that heart to make requests on behalf of other people, to pray the promises of God over other people. So here's how it works. First, you've got to keep a list of promises. And I've given you a start. But I just want to say that finding them on your own is the best way. Because these are meant for you, not just for me, right? I've given you a list of promises that were meaningful to me. But God is speaking to you individually. And as you read his word, you're going to encounter these promises. And here's how it works. You read it and you go, well, that's interesting. Or you read it and it kind of seems to glow or stand out. If you take 30 people and you put them in the room and you read the same passage, there's going to be 36 different highlighted areas in that passage. Things that stand out differently to each one of us as God speaks to us individually. So read the Bible and find the promises for yourself. Once you thank God for a person, then you can pray this promise over them. Father X is struggling to know what is right and what is wrong right now. So you promised that you would place a spirit of wisdom on your children, and so I pray that you would fill him with all knowledge and all wisdom. Notice that knowledge and wisdom are different things when we pray. Did you guys guess this is just a total rabbit trail here? Sometimes wisdom comes through stupidity, all right? That's something to remember. Sometimes wisdom comes through stupidity. So when we pray the wisdom of God over somebody and they don't immediately make the right choice or decision, God is still giving him a spirit of wisdom. They just have to learn the hard way. How many of you had to do that? Mm-hmm. Yes. By faith, you stand on that promise that the spirit of wisdom is going to come upon that person. When I pray for my kids that they would be wise, I stand on faith knowing that God said it's going to happen and it's going to happen. It just may not be in my timing and in my way, but that promise is for me, and it is for my kids, and so I am accessing the treasury of heaven, and I am praying for that wisdom, and I am claiming it, and I am owning it, and it is yours, and it is theirs, and you hold on to it and believe it in faith. There are any a number of promises that you could pray, but these promises are really about God's presence in the midst of suffering, about knowing the way forward, about strength in the midst of weakness, and all of these things are, this is the treasury of heaven that God wants to offer you. It's not just some ethereal chamber of gold that Scrooge McDuck swims in or something. It's very real spiritual treasures for us. So when God's promises come to your mind, pray them over people. When somebody pops into your head, be thankful and then pray a promise over them. And then the last part of his his little formula is this, is outcome. It's outcome. And if you've gotten this far into the prayer process, if you thanked God for a person, no matter what the circumstances, if you've been able to thank God for a person and then you're able to pray a promise over them, the outcome is the easy part. And it's always marked with those words, so that. We pray a promise over somebody, so that. I pray wisdom over you so that you would know which way to go, so that you would know what decision to make that is godly and wholesome and right and transformational for the world and for yourself. But the trick about this so that is that really you're not praying so that they would not get a ticket driving down the street or so that they would choose the right lottery numbers. You're praying and claiming God's promises over them so that their life would be God-honoring, that the outcomes would be kingdom-building, that it would be about God and not about us. Sometimes I think we pray... Um, and, and you know what? The Psalms actually show us this. This is David's broken heart praying. God, David actually prays in the Psalms that God would smite his enemies. But in one passage, he says, God, would you dash their children against their rocks? That's horrible, isn't it? 
How many of you ever heard a pastor say that, like in a sermon, where somebody, there was a Bible passage and it was absolutely horrible and wrong? David was not right to pray these things. And yet God is open to us to, to pour out all of our emotions and all of our anger and all of this stuff. And yet it's not a promise that God's going to dash our children or dash our enemy's children against the rocks. God's like, you know, I could take that, David. No, there. Answered prayer, boom. We get into these places where we are praying these promises of God over people or, or what seem like maybe a promise. And if our heart is wrong, we're going to pray that, you know, that our enemies are destroyed or that they're taken from our life. And yet God has a different plan and a different way of thinking about the world. And so we want our outcomes that we are praying for to be God-honoring. We want them to align with God's will for the world. And the best picture of that is the cross, right? The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, showing us it's a self-sacrificing love that gives everything for the sake of humanity and that there is no barrier between God and man. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And when we pray and we are seeking God's will for people's lives, that is the will that we want to have. Not that, that, that my life would be easier, not that things would be less tense between us, but that God's will would be done. God-honoring outcomes. In our text in Philemon, Paul actually prays that he would be that Philemon would be energized, he'd be effective in sharing his faith with those around him. That as he sees that everything that he needs for goodness and godliness, every good work that God has ever done, every treasury of heaven is contained within this one man, that that would lead to an effectiveness of him sharing his faith, that other people would get to know God. That's his godly outcome that he's praying for. We pray that the peace of God would reign in people's hearts and minds so that others would see the peace of God and experience it, or so that they would be strengthened to know and to understand the depths of God's love. The promise and the outcome are always linked, but pray for the outcome. What is it that God is doing in their lives? What is it that you hope to see God do in them? Remember, we are all weak. No, that's not what I meant. That's not the word I meant. We are not all weak. <laughs> Remember that we all leak what we are rooted in. I'm like, that does not sound right. Leak, weak. We leak what we're rooted in, right? And as we pray the promises of God, as we discover the promises of God, we're rooting ourselves in his love. When we pray, we are leaking what is in us. Leak what you're rooted in. Leak love in your prayers. And a great way to root yourself in the love of Jesus is to root yourselves in his promises and to pray those over other people. So for our first prayer time today, and if I've got time, we'll do another one, but I don't think we will. Um, what I want to do is I want to invite Phil and Angela Nelson to come forward because Phil and Angela are missionaries for our church to uh, international students, specifically uh, recently to Muslim people here in Pullman. And they are taking a break of sorts for about a month, and they're going to be traveling around the globe, not all the way around the globe, but kind of on a, a vision quest. What kind of call it? Vision quest. It sounds so Native American, um, spiritual, but... Yeah, they're just going to be praying and seeking God for the next steps of their life and seeing what God's doing around the world. And they wanted us to pray for them this morning. And I said, well, let's do it this way. Let's take this TPO, thanks, promise, outcome, prayer system, and actually pray over them. Um, you have written those people down in your bulletin. And I want to invite you today as you go home to pray. Say, God, how do I be thankful for this person? God, what promises do I need to be praying over them? And Jesus, what outcomes do you want to see? And take the time to do that. But then we're going to pray for Phil and Angela and, and Lydia. I was like stumbling over Lydia there for a second. And we're going to pray over the three of them. And Lydia, I know this is hard for you, so you don't have to be up here if you don't want to. I give you permission. Yeah? Okay. So just so you never blame it on the pastor. We, we good? All right. Don't blame it on me. Because um, I know it's hard. So I'm going to invite Heidi and, and, and Janice to come, and we're going to pray some prayer just over them. And I want to ask you to agree with us, okay? And, and that just means, Lord, what, what they're saying, I would believe it's from you. And so I add my prayers to that. Yes, Jesus, do these things, please. Um, and if you've never prayed before, that's the easiest prayer, right? Yes, Jesus, please do that. And so you can always pray those things. So we're going to start, and we're just going to do it without microphones, I think. Um, we'll start with Angela and then Heidi, and then I'll close us. And um, yeah, so... Would you pray with us? Janice, go ahead.
just modeled for you how to do this for other people. And you don't have to have all the big words, and you don't have to have all the promises, and you can just pray the scripture, but pray for other people. I want to encourage you to do that. And this morning, I want to take three minutes. we got three minutes, and I do want to do this. So what? how Paul prayed, right? I mean, this is more of a teaching today. Thanks, promises, outcomes. We should say that together, Doug, so we can all remember that. Thanks, promises, outcome. We should just do it. Let's all say it together. Thanks, promises, outcome. Pray for that for people and you're good to go. And God's going God's gonna to do stuff in people's lives and you're going to see prayers answered. But now, what does Paul pray in this specific passage? He prays that their witness would be effective. And it is the worst possible word translated. Because in our culture, effective means successful, right? In other words, we're saying that if Paul is praying for you to be effective in sharing your faith, that you are going to see people come to faith. But the Greek word here actually means that you would become energized and impassioned. That's like impassioned. I'm not even sure that's a word, but that's what it means. That passion would grow in you as you do this, as you live your life with every good and perfect thing, every treasure of heaven coming alive in you, the promises of God living in you, that you're, you would become passionate about living that way in front of other people so that his kingdom would come. And so what I want to do is I want you to, to get in groups of two or three, and we're going to pray for one another because we've talked about this before. We talk a lot about prayer, and we don't spend a lot of time practicing it. And I want to practice in groups of two or three. Would you just pray for one another that you would become impassioned about your faith with God, that you would become energized as the promises of God come alive in you so that the, the sharing of your faith would become effective? All right? So we're going to get in groups of two or three and do that. And uh, worship team, would you guys come up and just like play softly and then we'll do a closing song. Groups of two or three, we're going to give you three minutes to do it. So it's got to be quick. But thankfully, God listens to short prayers, right? All right, go. Go.